Welcome to Organic Sexuality, where we explore the restoration of pleasure, the reclamation of sexual sovereignty, and the realization of our embodied sexual nature. An invitation to honor the pleasures of your body by embodying the pleasures of your nature. I'm your host, Rahi Chan. I'm a certified somatic sex educator, a sexological body worker, and creator of Somatic Sexual Wholeness. In this episode, we explore the various applications and wide range of benefits of the ancient time-tested practice of vaginal steaming with Kelly Garza, founder of Steamy Chick. We discuss the turning points which propelled Steamy Chick into becoming the premier resource for all things related to vaginal steaming, the roots of modern-day Western gynecological practices and its resistance towards long-standing effective practices like vaginal steaming, and standards for healthy, holistic gynecological care that are still missing in the current medical model. Today, I'm really, really thrilled and happy to have invited Kelly Garza to the podcast. Um, I've known Kelly for a couple of years now, been so impressed and just in awe of her journey of navigating the steamy chick revolution. Um, so just to uh, introduce her first, um, Kelly is the founder and director of Steamy Chick, steamychick.com, which has quickly become the most comprehensive resource for data collection, um, uh, prescription uh, assessment advice on, you know, m- most everything related to peristeaming and vaginal steaming, as well as being a, a leading supplier of um, steam saunas and herbal blends. Um, so Kelly, great to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Rahi. I'm always, always happy to be involved with anything you're doing. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. So um I thought we could start, Kelly, because a lot of our listeners are probably going to be new to vaginal steaming or may have heard of it, but not necessarily practiced it. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be fun to ask you to share like the different turning points in the evolution of Steamy Chick and your you know, even at your um, your role as as the leader of, of Steamy Chick and how that's kind of I mean, I feel like you're such a you've almost become a spokesperson for this holistic, um, healthy, safe uh, uh, self-care practice that's actually been around for centuries. But you know, a lot of modern day audiences don't really know that much about. So I'd love to know, like, during your evolution, um, from your very first steam to now, like, what were the junctures that really kind of propelled Steamy Chick in a new direction or in a deeper direction? Like, essentially, what blew your mind along the journey? Wow. <laughs> okay, so nobody's ever asked me that before. Oh, <laughs> so very cool. I love you it. Do have, yeah, you do have my, my mind um, turning, <laughs> you know, on that one. So um, if I go back to the beginning, I heard about vaginal steaming like everybody else. And I, I learned about it from Marcia Lopez, mm-hmm. uh, who's a Mayan abdominal womb healer. 
And um, actually, at first, there was nothing. It was just like blank, <laughs> like it right. was like crickets. She said vaginal steaming, and it was just like crickets to me. Why would I do that? I would never yeah. do that. <laughs> that has nothing to do with me. Um, and then my my period was missing, and um, something you know, since you work with trauma, my period was missing because of a traumatic experience. So um, it had been gone for three months or so, and. What I realize now is that anytime I ex- have experienced trauma in my life, my period has gone missing. That's actually one of my body's responses to trauma. But at that time, I didn't know it. And I was just like, oh, my period's gone. Who cares? You know, I'm <laughs> just hmm. going through whatever I was going through. And um, and so I actually, I realized that mentally I was struggling and emotionally I was struggling. I was having a hard time like moving forward. And so um, it occurred to me that my my hormones might be out of balance. And I realized, well, of, of course, that would make sense if my period is missing, that my hormones are out of balance. But because I was struggling so much um, for the first time in my life, I figured, well, I guess I need my period to come back so that my hormones can balance out. And so I went to sleep with that question, well, how do I get my period to come back? <laughs> That's how I asked right. And I woke up and I had that, it was like vaginal steaming. I was like, I have to try that. And so I went to a Korean spa and I tried it. And uh, my first experience with it, it was actually a little bit too hot and I wasn't in my comfort zone. And, um, and so I did it. And so here's one of the interesting things about vaginal steaming is that you can do it not believing or not having any idea what it's going to do. And it actually still has an effect. It physiologically you know, has an effect on the body, it creates circulation, it creates heat, you know, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately going to affect the womb. And so, um, so a couple hours after that steam session, um, my period started. Mm -hmm. Just like that. So my period started and my, just like that. And I, I felt a relief. I felt, uh, like I was able to return to my normal self after that. And so what happened at that point was that I saw that that period looked healthier than any period I'd have had my entire life. About 10 years earlier, I had asked my OBGYN, they said, do you have any questions? I said, well, I said, my period is brown. I was like, is it supposed to be brown? And they said, is it always brown? And I was like, yeah, it's like consistently always brown. And they said, okay, then that's normal. Just contact us if something's Mm. different. And I was like, okay then, right? Well, this period after steaming was red. It was a fresh red, healthy color. And it was just vastly different. And I could tell that it was healthier. So that was that was the moment. Yeah. I was like, yeah. this is better. <laughs> this yeah. is better yeah. than the consistently brown. It's better. It smelled better. It felt better. My my body felt better. Yeah. And um and so I decided at that point, I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to do this. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, when when you ask about like, you know, what propelled me forward or why, honestly one of the reasons why was because I didn't have health insurance. Uh (laughs) I figured uh I have to do things that keep my body healthy. Mm -hmm. And if this is going to give me a health, what looks to me like a healthier period, then I should do it. So there was a, honestly, a financial consideration, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. as to why I was going to integrate this into my life. And um, that's something that, I'm really just starting to understand again now, looking back, mm. is how important the accessibility, 
you know, mm-hmm. is how mm-hmm. even without much income, it's accessible. Yes. It's something that anybody can do to improve their health or to ensure that they have, you know, um, that their that their that their menstrual health is on track, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's uh, it can. I mean, it's a preventative uh, health, uh, you know, practice in in many cultures. Um, you know, you're sharing so many great points right now, Kelly. I want to underscore that. You know, like a, a lot of people will assume that you know brown that their their menses being brown or even darker is is there's nothing wrong with that or missing a period mm-hmm. here and there's nothing wrong with that or menstrual cramps is just part of the part of the experience and and all of these things uh there's a reason for all of these things and they can all be remedied through this holistic practice that's been around for centuries and centuries uh, in so many cultures around the world right right and you're you're korean right Rahi? correct yeah, yes. so Korea is fascinating because Korea is one of the places that has maintained vaginal steaming despite, yes, <laughs> despite yes, Western Korean gynecology. Yes. And in, in Korea, in fact, like steaming is more advanced uh, than anywhere else as far as being able to research it and integrate it into mm-hmm. like healthcare. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that was another, that was another like turning point. I, at the time, I couldn't say it. At the time, I couldn't express it, but now I can. Brown is not normal, right? And now I couldn't say it because that's actually wrong according to Western gynecology. That's mm-hmm. that's wrong according to doctors. According to doctors, anything that's um, consistent is okay, even if it's brown, even if the cycles are really long, even if the cycles are really short. Anything that's consistent is okay. I see. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't understand like how significant it was to actually just own that, um, to just to basically disregard that and to decide, yes. no, you know what? Brown isn't okay. Brown is a sign of old menses. And it was through um, traditional Chinese medicine that I think that I was um, able to get that permission to speak more authoritatively about what is should what is an, a menstrual cycle imbalance versus what's a menstrual cycle what what a balanced healthy menstrual cycle looks like <clears throat> excuse me so i found i used to go to um yosan university to their acupuncture clinic and so i uh, right next to the acupuncture clinic oh. was uh, uh their bookstore that you know the acupuncturists yep. you know in training you yep. know the students would you know buy their books for their for yep. their classes so i used to always sneak into the bookstore after my acupuncture appointment and just browse and so i bought a book um called Diagnosis in Chinese Medicine. And it's not a book that I'm recommending people go out and purchase. It's really hard to read. <laughs> and yeah. In order to read it, I had to buy more books to be able to understand a lot of the terms. But what was really cool was that in that book, there's a, um, a chart that shows, uh, that talks about the different menstrual cycle um, uh, like color, the different colors of the menses yes. and what, yes. what that imbalance shows. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what, um, I started to look at my menstrual cycle as a monthly health health checkup, like, Oh, okay. Mm. You know, do I have any Brown in it? Because that's a sign of poor circulation or was I able Mm. to get it all the way red, you know? And then Mm -hmm. I started to 
look at um, what steaming practices and patterns created that healthy period, as well as what lifestyle factors created that healthy period. And then also the period care and how, you know, what I was drinking and eating and how that was affecting my period. So I started to use my period as a monthly checkup and I started to read it using this, you know, book that was based on, you know, knowledge that was thousands and thousands of years thousands old. Thousands of, yeah, thousands of years old. I, I actually studied at Yosan for a little while. And uh, so nice. I know the bookstore. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's like the memories are coming back of that um, bookstore, which is great. But, you know, for listeners, it's like the basic, basic, um, uh, like setup of vaginal steaming makes so much sense because it's using steam is being used as the transporting mechanism to carry these healing herbal properties up the vaginal canal, up the cervix, into the uterus to release any stagnation. I mean, it could be old stagnant blood. It could be uh, lochia if it's postpartum. It could be, you know, anything. But at the very fundamental basics, that, that soothing steam will relax the pelvic floor muscles that steam will increase blood flow, which will increase sensation, which will increase libido. Uh, it will downregulate the nervous system because the vagus nerve goes into the cervix. So at the very like basic level, it's so good for so many reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't really understand this like knee jerk reaction that uh, it hasn't been. Okay. So in 2015, um, about four years after I started my journey with vaginal steaming, a, a beautiful actress, Gwyneth Paltrow, mentioned mm. vaginal steaming on her right. blog. She had gone to a Korean spa, Takun um, Spa in Santa Monica, um, Santa Monica and yeah. so she mentioned it on her on her blog and, and recommended it. And so there was this reaction that. Uh, vaginal steaming can't be healthy. It can't have any effect on the hormones. It can't have any positive benefit. It, if anything, it's going to be harmful. And I just don't get it for the same reason that you just explained. There's no way for it not to be useful. There's no way for it not to be beneficial. It's going to relax the muscles. It's yeah. going to increase circulation. I mean, if we understand anything about the body, it's that warmth and circulation is good. Exactly. <laughs> right? exactly and stagnation yeah. is bad. Just in general, every single injury anybody might have, no matter where it might be, you have to get circulation. You have to get warmth, you know, in order to, for that part of the body to heal. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I think I, I mean, it's kind of like it is a knee jerk reaction and the medical profession, you know, it serves many wonderful purposes in many ways. And, it, you know, the, the way the educational structure is, they're really kind of limited to their boxes of. Uh, approved procedures. And we know there's politics involved and money involved with, you know, the medical association and all of that. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really based on kind of um, uh, not looking at the holistic health of a human being, but trying to kind of uh, stop like symptoms from proliferating. So, you know, I'm kind of, in some ways, I'm not surprised that the medical establishment would respond to something they don't know and they've never researched. And most of them have probably never experienced. 
one of the things that you'll notice about the doctors in the, the articles that are advising against it is that they don't know about it. They say, well, I don't know what that involves, but I recommend against it. I don't think that you should do it because douching is bad. Okay, well, steaming isn't douching. Right. Number one. Number two. And so w- when I had a chance to have this conversation, uh, conversation with Dr. Lorena, I said, why would a doctor advise against something that they don't know? And she said, oh, it's very simple. They don't want to get sued. Hmm. Doctors, when they give an opinion, it's a medical opinion. And so if a doctor doesn't know about something, they will advise against it because they could be held legally responsible hmm. if somebody... Uh, tries that and is harmed. And that actually was a really important puzzle piece for me to understand because I'm just sitting here like, how could they be advising against something they don't know? That's just, it seems ignorant to me. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I think the answer would be, well, I don't know. I would need more information about that. Right. And we have now all of these, when people, Unfortunately, when people Google vaginal steam, they come up with all these articles of doctors that say or articles that say doctors say don't do it. Right. Right. So anyway, so she explained to me, um, you know, again, you know, a doctor can only talk about what they learned in medical school. Right. So they're limited by the curriculum that they were presented with and anything outside of that. They actually have to advise against it because of the legal, Mm -hmm. you know, framework that they're in. So that was also like a, a, another uh, turning point was in 2015 when that when when all of a sudden, you know, vaginal steaming came into media and exactly. there were all of these articles against it. But it sounds like the turning point that 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 inspired mm-hmm. or, you know, propelled for you was data collection, like providing, you know, doc- documented evidence as to the benefits of it, which, mm-hmm. you know, five years later is just so critical and important because I feel like steamy chicks become kind of, you know, this um, amongst everything else, like a data collection hub. Right. I, until that point, I completely thought that I was not using my degree. I have a master's degree in international development. I have a strong uh, social research background. <laughs> Um, as well as uh, statistical background, <laughs> mm-hmm. as well as research, <laughs> just all of the um, all of this, you know, you know, this training that I had done in school. I was like, yeah, I'm not using. I, I, as far as I was concerned, I wasn't using my degree at all. But that turned it on. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, let's see if we can find any studies. Let's see if we can find any evidence. Okay, you know what? At that time, I couldn't find any studies, even though I have now. In fact. Um, Korea is like the hub of studies on studies. vaginal steaming. Yeah. The problem is that a lot of them haven't been uh, translated into English, but there oh. are several studies. It's, it's really cool. Um, so so at the time, I couldn't find any studies. So I said, fine, here are case studies. Here's, here's mm-hmm. 10 case studies about steaming and fibroids. Here's 10 case studies about steaming and bacterial vaginosis. If there isn't any scientific data, if, if the medical establishment hasn't studied this, then fine, let's look at these case studies, you know, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. you can, you can take case studies and, and create statistic, statistics from those. And you can take case studies and you can learn from those. And so what, when I started to create my blog and started to create these studies, um, it actually culminated last year in, or was that? Yeah, I believe it was last year. Um, I got together with um, some of the other STEAM practitioners and we created a pelvic STEAM testimonial database where we were like, okay, let's record all of our stories and all of our customer, our clients' stories. Let's let's start to 
you know, collect them. And that database is so interesting because you just hear story after story. And it, it's really um, mind-blowing how many different things that steaming, uh, that at least the people, the, the participants contributing to this database, how many different areas of their life that steaming touches. I think Absolutely. I, I counted up, you know, because people say, well, what does steaming do? That's a really hard question to answer because it, mm-hmm. it's like, what doesn't it do? <laughs> like it improves right. so many different areas of, of, right. of people's lives. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the that's the database that's currently on the on the Steamy Chick website, which is mm-hmm. so fantastic because you know you you can see the age of the steamer, you can see the issues that brought them to steaming, you can see the protocol, the prescription, if you will, of how often, how many months they steamed, and the resolution. And it is right. really a, an incredible resource because anyone who have you know, who has, you know, issues with fibroids or irregular periods or menstrual cramps or trying to, or fertility issues, like you can go to that database and look at the, the, the experiences time and time again of people with the similar symptoms and how they've resolved it. Right. People's symptoms have gotten better. Their periods are less heavy. Their periods are less painful. They're able to enjoy sex again, whereas it was, it's been painful, you know, uh, as they've mm-hmm. been, you know, dealing with this issue. And there's just like so many, you know, side effects. And what's really interesting about that, that has been another moment for me to say, menstrual pain isn't normal. Pain mm-hmm. is not okay. Mm-hmm. It is not okay. That was another right. turning point for me, Rahi, because Again, people say, and if when you, I I have, so I just like to, I like to get the books. So I have gynecology books too. I have like probably Mm -hmm. six textbooks that gynecologists themselves, you know, that are used uh, in medical school. And it, they absolutely say that menstrual pain is normal. Mm. Menstrual pain is normal. It's an, it's normal. There's not a problem. Mm -hmm. It's a normal part of menstruation and that is not okay. And so this is what we have, have women have been told. This is the messaging that we have received forever that menstrual pain, sorry, during our lifetimes, during our entire lifetimes, that menstrual pain is okay. And I think this is like, this is a huge problem. Why and who decided that it's okay for women to just suffer and just be in pain? And, and you can't even, there's not even like, there's not even like a huge research study going on right now to end pain. There's, there's research studies to end cancer. There's research studies to figure out what's going on with, um, what's the one where people forget their, <laughs> where they oh, forget deman- dementia or Alzheimer's. Dementia, Alzheimer's. Yeah. There's, you know, there's research about eyes. There's research about totally. all of these things, yeah. all of these things that affect people's life. Yeah. Uh, and, and especially things that affect older people's lives. Why isn't there a he- all of this research money going into solving the menstrual pain issue? Women shouldn't be in pain, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can't solve an issue if you haven't decided that it's a problem. And so medically, according to Western medicine, menstrual pain isn't a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think I I heard in one of your podcasts, you shared that the NIH devotes about 1% of their budget to women's health issues, 1%. Mm -hmm. And they are the leading research funder uh, for, for, you know, medical knowledge in this country. And yet, 
I mean, that's just incredible. You know, I, I also interviewed uh, Ellen Heed on the podcast and her whole dissertation was about, you know, result, um, sex, sexual pain postpartum as a result of scar tissue. And she found that there's all this research being done on scar tissue remediation that is non-obstetric, right? And yet a leading cause of sexual pain postpartum is scar tissue. Like all 10 of her sample subjects had that sexual pain due to scar tissue. And yet there's no research being done on it. So to your point, like if if we're not asking the right questions, we're not, we're not the, you know, we're not, we're not conducting research in the right areas. And if in gynecologic books, you know, it says it's normal, then it's not going to be looked at or taken seriously. And yet Kelly, um, you know, from your work and from Steamy Chick's research, it sounds like 90 something percent of menstrual cramps disappear from steaming. Precisely. So, you know, I feel like the data collection that you've done, like both intentionally and I mean, frankly, I think the Facebook Steamy Chick forums are just like a gold mine right. of data and research. I mean, it's like getting a PhD in vaginal steaming to just <laughs> type in. I, I'm serious because, you know, I mean, there's the regular forum, but then there's the practitioner's forum. And and both of them, you can type in anything. So listeners out there, you can go to, is it an open group, the, the, the Steamy Chick Forum? Yes, on okay. Facebook, yeah. So on Facebook, you can type in... Um, uh, Steamy Chick Vaginal Steam Forum, correct, which is open. Uh, there's also one specifically for practitioners, which is also great. Um, but you can type in any issue you want to explore that you want to resolve holistically and naturally, whether it's fibroids, endometri- I mean, things like endometriosis, which is really tough. Uh, you know, even the medical community hasn't figured out how to really address it, but it's like mind blowing all the range of things. Um, and once again, all of these things like, you know, brown, brown menses color or menstrual cramps or, you know, uh, uh, heavy bleeding or, you know, shorter periods. These are not regular things. You can resolve them with, uh, with vaginal steaming in a holistic and healthy way. Going back to the turning points, it sounds like the data collection was a huge one. And it was in part done to kind of defend yourself from all of these, you know, the medical establishment, like making accusations. Yeah. And then that started getting me looking at the state of women and um, just women's rights. That got me that got me understanding that there's some type of a woman's women's rights um, aspect to to what we're doing and just and that there's also some type of empowerment and 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 there's also some type of stance that you have to take I didn't when I first steamed I wasn't taking a stance (laughs) I wasn't taking my body back you know but I did (laughs) I did take my body back rather than me you know now just you know depending on the gynecologist telling me brown blood was normal I was steaming monthly right and I had specifically learned uh to steam monthly from the Korean spa owner told me well in Korea we steam once a month after the period minimum she said and then we may steam more often if there are other issues and so I was like okay once a month you know and so I started doing it but um I didn't realize that that was me taking my body into my own hands rather than 
handing it over to men every time that I had a, a health issue. And when I say men, um, it's fair to say that <laughs> Western gynecology, even if you have a female gynecologist, is a profession that was founded, established, and is currently still dominated by men. The early founders of um, Western modern gynecology were all men that were um, operating on on women, um, and they started off doing all of their experiments actually on enslaved women. And so all of the gynecological procedures that are done today, you know, were founded um, by white doctors um, that actually killed black women, enslaved in order to be able to create these methods. So again, this is another, this was another turning point. I didn't know that. <laughs> I had no idea how significant it was for me as a black woman to not any longer, you know, go to my gynecologist, go to a man to ask them if it was okay to steam my own body. But it, it definitely was triggering when I saw those articles that said, don't do it. You should not steam. And I'm thinking, why? I've been doing this. This has been healthy for me. Right. And so I had to make a decision right there honestly, to ignore that advice or, or not to follow that advice and to decide what I felt was better for my body. And that right there, Rahi, is, it's a big thing. It is, it is a, a big, big thing. thing. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I've continued to learn how significant it is more and more as the more that I learn history. So what I found out was that, um, and there's a really excellent book, um, which I'll share with you as well. Um, and it's basically how did how did women's medicine fall into men's hands? How how was how did gynecology become a male practice? Since the beginning of time, midwives um, have been women, majority all women. <laughs> and in fact, women's health wasn't even considered part of medicine. And then all of a sudden, a couple hundred years ago, gynecology was founded. And all of a sudden, all women's issues, including postpartum, including obstetrics, including pregnancy, all of it, all of it, it has to do with like we have these male, these men that are in charge of it who are using uh, surgery and pharmaceuticals as the main methods of treatment. You know, it's interesting because it seems like in a lot of other cultures, um, I mean, all around the world where vaginal steaming is accepted as a, you know, as a, as a, as a healthy practice, especially postpartum, especially to increase fertility, especially as a preventative measure. It's, it's midwives really that kept it alive all over the world. Wouldn't you say Kelly? Yeah. Especially midwives in rural areas where there, um, where there aren't any hospitals or clinics. Right. Right. And then there's like there, and then there are a couple exceptions. Korea is, is one of the exceptions. It works so symbiotically with, with mm-hmm. the, the rise of, of, of even the modern Western gynecological practices that are used in the country. And, and I think it's such a good example because it shows there's no conflict between these. <laughs> you can, you can deliver your baby in a hospital with a doctor and in the maternity ward afterwards, steaming can happen. Steaming can happen to help the, the, the mother recover. Steaming can be prescribed to help somebody if they have pain during sex or even to, to use steaming prior to, you know, first sex after, after giving birth, there's no reason why these can't be used together. Right. And so Korea is such a really great example of that. And I'm not sure. I think it has something to do with the fact that, I don't know. (laughs) 
there's something well, there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up there as a kid and, you know, the sauna, like, you know, people, my friends in LA love going to the Korean sauna, you know, the women's sauna. It's a really, it's a real, you know, integral part of the culture, like going to the sauna, steaming, like, like, so I think, I think there's that piece and also South Korea is largely rural and there is, you know, like when you look at how the religion, like it's not dominated by like a Christianity or like a puritanical religion. There's actually a fair amount of shamanism still being practiced in the rural areas. So I think all of those things kind of combine in the culture to be open to, you know, um, different forms of healing and care. Mm-hmm. But, you know, what you're bringing up, Kelly, is... um you know, it, it's true. Like, why not, you know, have, you know, a, a, a Western delivery in a modern hospital and then go and get steamed? And that's exactly what your um, the, the fourth trimester postpartum study examined. Right. So um, I forget how long it was ago, two years ago, I believe um, I started to work with. Um, so. I was actually talking to Kimberly Johnson and she's the author of the fourth trimester study and a a good friend of yours. We actually know each other through Kimberly. Exactly. And so she, you know, was kind of having, um, you know, this experience where, you know, she talked about her um, difficulties postpartum and she wrote this book. And now all of a sudden her inbox, you know, her email, Instagram inboxes are flooded with all of these women who have all of these problems and how do we and and who are looking for solutions they're 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 not getting um and and these are people who have not that they they're not willing to go to the doctor but they haven't received adequate care or attention for the problems that they're having for example postpartum sex you know difficulty with postpartum sex due to scar tissue not something that you know that doctors are concerned about it's not something that's even considered Exactly. Um, during the, the postpartum checkup, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so there are all of these issues that are going com- uh, unaddressed or yeah. that the, the care for them is inadequate. Right. Right. And so um, so she's getting all of these, you know, and so she, she of course, she, there's certain things that she can do to help people, but there were too many people. And so, um, so I, I have the, I have, the, I had the same problem. And so we were kind of comparing this, you know, just all of these women that need help and how to even get help to them. And Kimberly mentioned, she said, well, with steaming, steaming is low cost. And it's something that people can do in their own home. They can learn to do it themselves and they can immediately receive, um, uh, relief for so yes. many different issues. So that they have, many different right? issues. Yeah. Postpartum. And especially, especially because she's dealing with the scar tissue, the postpartum scar tissue. And, um, you know, this is another thing that's just astounding that, you know, people are saying, Oh, there's no way steam can help. Well, if you've ever had, you know, if you've ever delivered a baby and if anybody's ever had a tear and had stitches, how could steaming not be relieving? You know, how could it not help to keep that area clean so that it can heal better? You know, it's just something that uh, people really do see immediate benefit and relief from. And so um, and so she said she had heard me talk about how I wanted to do a study. I I think in studies, I'm always just like, well, if we had a study that did this and this, you know, like I just always have all these ideas for studies. And she said, well, when are you going to do that study that you told me about? And I was like, Mm. not right now. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I'm busy. <laughs> so she was like, so I, I, my, the whole history of my company, right. Is that I've been on back order. 
I've been on back order since the very beginning and I'm still working to not be on back order. <laughs> okay. I see. So, um, so I was like, not right now I'm busy. And so she was like, well, she's like, I just think that, you know, she's like, can I help? What can I do so that we can get this study done? Because I think that it could really make a big difference. And so anyhow, we, we did it. We did the fourth trimester vaginal steam study. We figured out how to do it just as a grassroots study rather than going through, um, through, through a university. And we just figured, okay, what's, what's the least amount of money and resources that we could get this done basically mm-hmm. ourselves. And so with this study, what we did was we wanted to look at, um, we wanted to look at postpartum, a group of people who did steaming postpartum, and then a group of people who didn't steam postpartum and compare. And this was another turning point because as we were trying to figure out, well, what should be included in this exam? uh, What I realized is that there's no definition for postpartum recovery. What is postpartum recovery? Mm-hmm. What what is it? You know, if anybody's had a baby, what, did your doctor talk to you about what postpartum recovery is at that sex? At what needs to happen between those right. six weeks before you're OK to go back to exercise, work and, and sex? What is supposed to happen at that time? There's no definition for it. There's no list, you know, yeah. for it. And so what we had to do, I looked at, okay, well, what do midwives, you know, what do midwives look for, you know, when they're contending to somebody postpartum? And then what do doctors look for at that six week checkup? What, what are the emergency things that people, you know, that, that we're checking for right after somebody gives birth? And so, and then, and then beyond that, I was like, and what isn't addressed? Prolapse, (laughs) scar tissue, right? There's a lot of things that aren't addressed. Even broken bones aren't assessed um, Mm. after somebody gives birth. (laughs) I myself, I'm realizing I had a, I had a broken coccyx bone after I gave birth to my first child and nobody ever asked me. So I I just, I mean, if somebody asked me, I'd say, yeah, I can't, I can't sit down. I sat on my side for about two years after my, nobody checked. There was no, there was no point that I was to be assessed to make sure that my coccyx bone didn't break when I gave birth to my 10 pound baby. Naturally, there's no point in this whole process where that assessment happens, right? So during this, we actually got to assess, well, what is postpartum recovery and what should be checked during this postpartum exam? And so we created um, our, we, we were able to create what we felt like is a, a comprehensive postpartum, uh, postpartum examination. And that was really interesting to be able to create and look at those indicators of what we should be considering. And we considered even something like processing the, the birth you know, women emotionally are checked, processing the birth, right? Women are yeah. checked to make sure they don't have postpartum depression, but there's no point that women are able to emotionally process the biggest event of their life. <laughs> yeah. Why do we only just check to see if she's depressed and not give her a tool to, to process it? you know, or acknowledge, you know, this, this rite of passage. So anyway, so we were able to create this. And so Raquel, the midwife did these exams on day four and day eight and six weeks. And there were vast differences between the STEAM group and the non-STEAM group. So the STEAM group had better, um, they had less, um, they had no issues with their stitches by day eight. After five days of steaming, they had zero issues, issues with their stitches. And then also at the six week mark. Which is huge. I mean, just that alone is huge. They were able to urinate without burning sensation. They didn't have pooling. They didn't have itching. And, and, and the weird thing is that everybody ended up with stitches 
in both mm. groups. Now, the non-STEAM group at six weeks were still dealing with the issues. And definitely at day eight, we're still dealing with the issues. They hadn't even resolved their stitching issues and their scar right. tissue by the six-week right. mark. And so people say, well, water could do the same. You could use a spray bottle and spray water on there, water with salt or water with herbs. It's not going to do the same thing as steaming. No, steam is part of, it's it's made up of water, but the right. steam combined with the heat and being turned into its gaseous form, steam is actually a gas, um, it's able to penetrate the stitches and go deeper. It's able to get inside and, right. and underneath in a way that just spraying warm water can't. And so... Um, and so that was something that was uh, a big difference. Um, our steam group was not constipated, um, after steaming, they were, they started out constipated. Everybody started out constipated by day eight. They were not constipated. And then actually we stopped steaming. None of them were constipated by day eight. And then the, the entire other group was, um, by six weeks after they stopped steaming, actually the constipation had returned for some of them. Mm -hmm. So they were better off when they were steaming than when they had stopped right. steaming, right? Right, um, right. We saw that the blood pressure, uh, this was an interesting one because I've never, you know, considered people's blood pressure levels or anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, the steam group, their blood pressure was lower. And this poor non-steam group, their blood pressure was higher by day eight. Mm. So when you look at blood pressure, what we're, one of the things that we can, one of the things that we can uh, think about with blood pressure is stress. So this, the steam group, their stress levels appear to be lower if we're looking sure. at the blood pressure, and sure. it was lower all within a healthy range. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the the poor non-steam group, their blood pressure was going up, and it stayed within a healthy range, but it, their their numbers were getting towards the you know the the point where it, it would go unhealthy. Well, one of the leading postpartum causes of death is um, called eclampsia. And the sign, the reason why they take the blood pressure is to um, monitor for eclampsia. One of the signs of preeclampsia or eclampsia is high blood pressure. Uh -huh. So how yeah. it's very significant that the STEAM group's blood pressure was going down and staying within a healthy range, whereas the well, sure. non-STEAM group's blood pressure was going up. It was going up. It was going towards something that was unhealthy, whereas the STEAM group had that um, 100%. All of them were going towards safety. And doesn't that make sense, though? I mean, knowing what we do about the soothing effects of the STEAM, but, but more uh, specifically, the downregulation of the nervous system with the effect of the vagus nerve being soothed, it's going to downregulate the whole body, downregulate the whole nervous system of the body. Um, and on day eight of, you know, postpartum, I mean, I can only imagine all the stresses that you're surrounded with if you're not addressing a way of soothing the nervous system. And going back to what you shared, Kelly, about, you know, the, the regulation of the bowel movement. Well, of course, if the muscles are being relaxed with the steam, if there's more blood flow with the steam, yeah, sure. That's going to make a lot of sense, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
And so we don't, I don't know if you want me to go through all the indicators, but there were uh, like eight, we, we actually looked at more than eight different things, but there were eight areas where the STEAM group was way better off than the non-STEAM group. And it, you know, they, they didn't bleed for as long. They uh, started losing weight earlier and they lost more weight overall and, and so on. And so it's really worth, um, you know, taking a look at that. And, it, you know, again, it's not hard to show just because STEAM hasn't been studied by Western medicine doesn't mean that it's not valuable. And if we did use scientific studies to evaluate it, there's no reason that we wouldn't end up, you know, being able to see scientifically the benefits of it, because it's not, this isn't something that, you know, STEAM touches you. It actually touches the body. It touches the physical body. Of course, it's going to have a physiological um, response. Well, you know, there are entire cultures who do that as a regular practice, you know, in the care of their um, new mothers. And um, there's a reason for that. There's a reason why it's been a practice for centuries. So I want to point out to listeners that this study, the fourth trimester postpartum study, is available to look at for yourselves at steamychick.com. Um, you know, there's the abstract, there's the protocol, there's the different measuring, um, uh, you know, uh, protocols that they used and the results. And it's really worth taking a look, um, you know, as well as the other testimonial database, which I think is just a phenomenal service to um, to show people who are curious or interested, you know, like it's just over a hundred examples of uh I mean, my gosh, like if, if someone kind of went through the Facebook forum, there are thousands of case studies, like thousands, um, you know, from fibroids falling out to like the green mucus just dropping out to, I mean, just left and right. There's just like, it's incredible. It's incredible. Um, you, you know, so. You can even have somebody uh, send you a private message of their fibroids that came out. <laughs> I always tell people, uh, yes. like, please don't post them on the forum because I'm actually squeamish and I don't like oh, to see yeah. it. But so yeah. then they say, okay, private message me and I'll, I'll send you the photos. And so, you know, they send them around, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, I've seen those photos and it's amazing. Um, but yeah, but it just, it makes so much sense that, you know, not only the steam for all the reasons you mentioned, but combined with you know, we know how potent and healing herbs are and, you know, you guys blend them. People can blend them in such a way that it really addresses what needs to be tonified or what needs to be cleansed. Um, I want to ask you, Kelly, before we wrap up, like what were some, uh, so staying on the theme of like what blew your mind. So with the forum and other, because now it's like, it's so many, I mean, you've certified so many practitioners it's like there's a, a, you know, a whole tribe of practitioners whose minds are being blown, you know, just with the simple, holistic, you know, like time-tested practice. What were some of the outlier stories that stayed with you or blew your mind as, you know, you're hearing about people steaming all over the world? Oh, wow. Um Honestly, Rahi, there are so many. There are so (laughs) many. So many. And what I really love about um, so so I've certified over eight hundred practitioners worldwide. And what I what I realize is there is a certain amount, and Rahi's one of them, including me. what I realized is there's a certain amount of safety that is needed. As I, as I started to um, as I started to become a supplier, you know, selling vaginal steam um, herbs and and saunas, um, people always had all these questions, and so people needed, you know, 
a lot of how-to advice, as well as like the safety um, safety measures, as well as how to get the right herbs, you know, based on the different type of menstrual cycle. And so, uh, and so that's basically, you know, I was spending all day long answering the same questions over and over and over again. And so I was, I finally, you know, started a certification program to certify more practitioners who could help guide people through this process and make sure that they're doing it safely and with the right herbs and, and so on. And what I think is really cool is, um, seeing how each practitioner applies it within their own profession. So cool. <clears throat> nurses are, are becoming certified practitioners. We have uh, massage therapists. We have um, uh, acupuncturists who are now integrating it, mm-hmm. right? And so it, uh, midwives, doulas. And so it's so cool for me to see the way that it, um, like the way that STEAM works even within these yes. different like professionals, um, professions right and um Mm -hmm. like lately uh physical therapists and chiropractors have started using it and and at first like i can teach the steam part but i actually need the practitioners to explain to me how and why steaming is useful for chiropractors how and why is it useful for physical therapy you know you as a um i don't know how to say your title as a somatic sexual sure expert (laughs) you explain it in a way that i can't even fathom explaining it (laughs) you know Mm, when you start mm, talking about mm. down the vagus nerve and down regulating it when you Mm. say it i know it's true because i've seen right but that's since that's not my professional discipline i can't speak in those terms and so what's really cool to me to see is how it Mm. applies in all of these different professions um even to therapy. There's a therapist who's like, you know, we work with people who are diagnosed with premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Mm. She's like, and there's no way that we can't, that we shouldn't be using the steam to also uh, address all of the black and brown menses that these women end up having. Right. And so, you know, like, so every different profession is showing all these different ways. And so basically what I'm, what, what, what for me is so cool to see is how you really can't work with women if you're not working with their menstrual cycle. That's what I take away from it. You can't just help somebody uh, overcome sexual trauma without looking at her menstrual cycle. How is she supposed to overcome sexual trauma if she gets bacterial vaginosis every time she has sex? Or if she has scar tissue that like causes pain every time that she has sex, how can you overcome pain and the trauma from pain when she still has pain, right? So it's just... You can't really deal with women unless you're not dealing with their menstrual cycles. How do we not know that uh, that the the period is actually a womb cleanse? Nobody knows this. Nobody knows that the period is a womb cleanse, right? Like, and yet women are are able to run, you know, uh, businesses and be a top level CEOs of of any business in the world, and yet we are not trained to learn that our own period that happens on a monthly basis is a womb cleanse. And that pain and cramps is a sign that the, that you're not getting a full cleanse, right? It's just, anyways, I just, there's just something very foundational about menstrual health and women that I think uh, the world has been ignoring for a very long time, mm-hmm. completely overlooked. Yeah. So many things you've, you've touched on. I, you know, the thing that really stands out to me, Kelly, is that the, the turning point you shared about... Um, recognizing that the wisdom you were hearing of your own body and seeing it's what your body's, what your body was telling you 
was more important than what the medical profession was telling you about your body. And that sense of ownership and, and reclaiming, you know, that your body's wisdom is its wisdom. And I'm going to listen to that. I mean, that's, that seemed to be a real uh, turning point. Um, you know, I love what you share about how it's like the steam is like, you know, I don't know, kind of like a musical melody and all these different professions are creating different kind of jazz riffs out of that musical, these musical chords you're providing. Um, like I know for me, like, of course we want to regulate, um, you know, healthy, healthy menstruation, but as a somatic practitioner, it's really been profound as a, as a practice to invite clients to start to get back in touch with their feeling sense of their pelvises, especially if they've been, um, you know, if they're recovering from trauma and have dissociated or cut off from their pelvises. Like I had one client who, I mean, she was eight months postpartum, had a traumatic birth. And so kind of disconnected from feeling her pelvis. Kelly, like within 30 seconds of feeling the soothing steam, she, she felt her vulva for the first time since, you know, that her traumatic birth and just like tears coming down her face because she was finally getting in touch with the grief and sadness of her experience. Um, like her baby was healthy and fine, but it was traumatic for her. Um, and then the increase of blood flow and sensation should not be underestimated. I mean, it's incredible. And that's what blows me away is it's so simple, but it can be so profound. Um, you know, I had, I had a client who, who had been circumcised as a child, you know, in Northern Africa. And so she was not feeling sensation. And we used uh, castor oil. Um, just, you know, covered her clitoral complex and her vulva with castor oil. And after one steam session, uh, sensation and pleasure returned. So there are all these different kind of, yeah, it's incredible. But, you know, as you're saying, there's a whole variety of different ways to utilize this ancient and holistic practice um, beyond just regulating and supporting, you know, the perfect period you know, four days, fresh red, you know, without, without cramps. And that's such a perfect example. Um, early on, I also <clears throat> had a client who was a, a, a um, FGM survivor. She, she was circumcised against her will as a child. And um, the way that she's using steaming right now, you know, within that circle of, of uh, you know, of circumcised women that are mm. now, you know, working on getting back all of their function and all of their sensation is incredible. I also have another, uh, I had a client who was a, um, she was, uh, she's a sex traffic survivor. So she mm -hmm. was uh, held captive. Um, she was kidnapped as a teenager and held captive for a year um, and has the way that she's able to, and now she's, she's a, she helps to empower other women uh, cool. to, you know, who are, who have survivors. escaped, who are survivors yeah. to, you know, get their lives back. And steaming is absolutely a, a part of, you know, what she's mm -hmm. bringing to these women, you know? And so it's just, it's so cool to see all of the different areas. Um, but yeah. I think like, I think we, we really have to talk about men's health as well and how steaming can be useful sure. for that because you're the second, um, 
male practitioner who was certified by me. And I have a third who's um, going through the program now. And I don't cool. teach about men's health uh, in my program. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But one of the cool things is that in Korea, steaming isn't specifically a female practice. Mm-hmm. It's, it's used for both genders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Koreans just love the sauna. I mean, it's just like anything that could have that happen in a <laughs> yeah. sauna, you know, they're really into <laughs> You know, whether it's soaking or massage or steaming, it's like, it's, it's really, it's fascinating. It's incredible. Well, earlier this year, we lost uh, one of our heroes in the black community, Chadwick, um, the star of Chadwick, Chadwick Boseman, the star of um, Black Panther, Black Panther. And I had known from, okay, so one of my, one of my close colleagues is Chris Gonzalez and her, her mother is, is Korean. And so she always goes in and finds the Korean stuff, you know, like the Korean data, the Korean information. And so I had known from her a lot from, from, you know, a while ago that steaming is used uh, in China and Korea for men's health as well. But since it's not something, since I, I've never worked with male clients, it's just not, you know, something that I focused on. But when Chadwick died, I was just like, oh, man, because he died from colon cancer. And colon cancer is one of the things that steaming can treat or steaming is used to treat in in both Korea and China for for men. And it really made me realize, you know, I've got this I got this gang now of 800 steam practitioners around the world. We all have men around us. We all have sons, dads, uncles, cousins, brothers, husbands, whatever. (laughs) We need to start getting the steam to them as well. And Mm -hmm. so the areas that steam, and again, I'm not the expert in this. I am looking for somebody to step forward to be able to help to train the practitioners you know, along these levels. And Chris Gonzalez is a great, um, she's a great resource um, as well as a couple of other people. And then you, I always send people your direction if I can. Mm. Um, but even you, I'm not sure if, if, you know, we, again, because I haven't trained anybody, how do you steaming for men's health? But I do want to mention that steaming can also be used for men's health. It can be used for enlarged prostate. It can be used for col- all the rectum and colon issues, uh, whether it's hemorrhoids, whether it's um, there's some type of prolapse, um, whether there's fissures or some type of uh, bleeding or whatever's going on there, um, as well as any type of genital cancer, as well as erectile dysfunction and er- mm-hmm. infertility issues. And I don't know what to do with that because I don't actually know what blends to use and yeah. <laughs> how to go from there. But I do know and, and what I hope that we see over this next year is a growth mm-hmm. really in this area mm-hmm. of using STEAM for these issues. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like there's a massive problem. I think prostate cancer is the number two killer for men. And yet the solution, you know, there's just it's kind of waiting and I agree. I mean, you know, again, the basics are going to apply to any body, the increase in blood flow, the relaxation of pelvic floor muscles, um, you know, increase blood flow is going to increase sensation. It's going to increase libido. Um, I mean, I've certainly uh, and I know there's one I, for, I, I'm, I can't recall her name now, but I know there's one colleague on the uh, practitioner's forum who makes a blend for men. Jolet. Jolet. Yes. And um yeah, it's so there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's so much potential for it, for sure. And, you know, I've, I've experienced the benefits of that increased blood flow, for sure. I started with the, um, with the cleansing blend, and then someone suggested using the disinfectant blend. 
And so I steamed, you know, at night I went to bed and, you know, I mean, the wood the next morning was of a different quality and there was just a lot of wood on the block. Let's just put it that way. So yeah, it, it has that effect, right? We know it increases blood flow. Um, and yet it, you're right. It's underutilized and it's not really, there's not a lot of attention, uh, uh, placed there. So that's a really great intention for the next year. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's of interest to me as well. So, um, we should just stay in contact as far as like what, what possibilities there are. Yeah. It's natural Viagra. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I hear. It from is. It's natural. Viagra. Well, it is. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Right. No, no side effects, but higher libido and you know, it just more fun wood. <laughs> so I that's, that's all good. I think that's one of the reasons why I, st- I, why I stay away from it is I'm like, well, you know, there's, there's going to be, there's going to be some changes if men, you know, use steaming. But when I started yeah. to think about the application with like with older, when, when men, when men start to deal with these enlarged prostates, they can't urinate. Right. And one thing we've seen with women yeah, postpartum and as urinate. well with men with enlarged prostate is okay. Right. It's painful or it can be slow. As soon yeah. as you introduce that steam, everything flows, the urination flows, it unblocks. Right. And so the, just the stimulation, something happens mm-hmm. there. And so it's just like, why should, why should people not be able to urinate? They should just be able to, yeah. you know, do a steam session and be able to like, you know, empty totally. out their bladder. That way they don't have any of the complications that happen. What's really interesting is there's even a medical device that was uh, developed in order to, um, as a prostate surgery, um, uh, alternative and they use a machine, but the machine, mm. uh, it points at the, the enlarged prostate and then it shoots steam at it and I melts saw it out. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I Which saw makes that. so much sense to me. It makes you know? so much sense. And it speaks to the power of steam to penetrate the tissue so it can actually get to, you know, the, the root of the issue. Um, so for listeners, um, you can go to steamychick.com. It is a, a comprehensive resource for all things steaming related. Kelly, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to share your, um, your wisdom and your experiences with us. Anytime, Rahi. Anytime. <laughs> Notice how this episode is landing in your body. How is your womb space or pelvis feeling right now? Is there any message or request it may want to communicate to you? And might it welcome any kind of support from you? In the next episode, we continue exploring holistic womb and pelvic care from an Eastern TCM perspective with the creator of The Way of Yin, Chris Gonzalez. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with your tribe, or leave a review. You can also download the free Organic Sexuality ebook at organicsexualitypodcast.com. Until next time. Take good care.